one of the letters to one of the seven churches of Asia representing the church age that will exist at the time of the coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, the word angel means messenger, basically, it's talking about the minister or the messenger. You didn't know preachers were angels, did you? <laughs> Every now and then I have to remind my wife. <clears throat> she believes the Bible, but she has a hard time believing that part. <clears throat> well, let's start all over. I'll be serious, okay? And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Well, you don't hide a thing from God, do you? Not one thing. Do you know that God knows what you're thinking right now? He even knows why you are thinking the way you're thinking. For he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I know thy works that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would thou wert cold or hot. God wants you to be not on the fence, but he wants you to make up your mind what you want to do. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in a fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You may be seated. mention was made of Marv Munyon. It's amazing to me how many people in the religious structure of America are strengthening their convictions. Seriously, I'm amazed. I've talked with a lot of people of different denominations and read a lot. I'm amazed how many books now by hardline Trinitarian ministers, that is their denomination, that are now talking about Jesus Christ as being God. The Christmas cards are declaring Jesus is God. Three or four years ago, I went and picked up a Christmas card and brought it here and showed you. It said, Jesus is God. It quoted Isaiah 9, 6. Got this from the Christian bookstore, the family bookstore in East Town. Uh, people are taking a look at values, reestablishing values. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of people in the world who are just losing their brains over things. This is why we had Brother Story to come by and talk about the New Age. And while it is true that the devil is deceiving many, 
there are many people that are opening their eyes and they're really taking a look at different things. Now, I have the Wednesday, September 15th newspaper. Uh, every now and then I mention something about TV. Maybe you saw this in here. Walter Payton has some advice for parents. How many of you know who Walter Payton is? <clears throat> All right. Walter Payton has some advice for parents. Now, I'm just reading this right from the by the newspaper. <clears throat> How many of you know what he said? How many of you read this? He said, get rid of the television set. <clears throat> you know who is raising your kids? Question mark. TV. It's the worst thing in the world for kids. The National Football League Hall of Famer said Monday in Little Rock, Arkansas, while on a five-city tour for the Food for Thought Literacy Program. When you do have kids, please take all your TVs out of your house or at least lock them up. End of quote. I don't know anything about what he believes concerning salvation. But all over people are doing this. And isn't it something, though, that he, in, in some of the public schools, if your children, if you, if you tell the teacher you don't have a TV, it's almost, it, it's almost grounds for taking the kids out of the home. It's almost like abusing them. Isn't that something? And so many daycares are, are just allowing your children to be uh, babysat with a television set. So we need to give some thought to some of these things. Of course, I've been talking about this for a long, long time. Been a lot of people, you know, that thought I was narrow-minded. I didn't know what I was talking about. I believe, as sure as I believe anything, that Jesus Christ is coming soon. I really do believe that. I'm reading this last letter because, <clears throat> you see, the, the problem, I say the problem, what I see in this, and, and I, I mentioned this a few months ago in a message. I, I do believe that the seven letters uh, written to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the churches existing in Asia at the time, parallel the seven church stages are the stages of the religious movement from the time that Jesus Christ was here until now. Now when I say religious movement, I'm talking about the Christian religious movement. And these parallel with the seven parables of Matthew 13. Now the last parable of Matthew 13 is the parable of the great dragnet. And, of course, <clears throat> there was a net that was cast in the sea and it gathered fish of every kind. The parable just before that is the parable of the pearl of great price. This is speaking about the full revelation of Bible salvation coming back to mankind. Shortly after the Reformation, there was a hidden treasure buried in a field. And the 
this field was purchased. And after that was the pearl of great price, which I believe with all my heart is the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, which was destroyed during the Dark Ages because of man's belief in the so-called Trinitarian Bible doctrine. It is not a Bible doctrine. Jesus Christ was the mighty God visiting the human race. Now, I think I made mention of this. The thing that's puzzling, however, about the seventh parable of Matthew 13 is it really doesn't fit too much with the seventh letter. If you just take the parable and the letter, uh, they don't seem to fit. But I think when you look at Bible prophecy, it's, it's something else. The overall prophecy. I think what is happening here is that there is a, a spirit of complacency that has gripped the church. Many of you, contrary to what you might believe, fit into that mold, that mindset. <clears throat> this is the reason why when prayer is going on, you can just sit out here and yak, just ratchet jaw while everybody's praying to the Lord. You can care less. Seriously. Now, if I step on toes tonight, it's because I am trying to. I'm sincere with you. I really feel that, that it's, it's time to do that. See, there are times when Christians need to be patted on the back and encouraged. There are other times when you need just a good, swift kick right in the back end. You know that? Really. I mean, it's something to really jar you out of your complacency. <clears throat> Did not Jesus talk about the complacency of the last day church? He did. He talked about that. And yet among this complacency, there are people who are red hot on fire for the Lord. The most recent campaign, of evangelistic campaign in Ethiopia where 50,000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is or it has been declared in religious circles as the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost ever on the human race. I'm talking about one time. It's unbelievable. But you notice in the Scripture that the Scripture, when it talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is full of contrasting situations. See? Talk about wars and rumors of wars and people crying, peace, peace, then sudden destruction. Also talks about famine and pestilences, and yet at the same time they shall be eating and drinking. Isn't that something? So you see, all you have to do is just take a look at the world as you see it now, and then take a look at the Scripture, and you know that Jesus Christ could come back just any moment. Just any moment. Brother John Repka brought me a copy of the end, the end time uh, uh, paper. This is put out by Irvin Baxter, Jr. 
He's in Indiana. I'm not for sure what city in Indiana. Richmond, that's, that's right. I personally know Brother Baxter. On the back of this, there is a book called A Message to the President. If you remember, I brought this, this book out and read from it when the Berlin Wall fell. This man, his, his ministry is to keep up with, with Bible prophecy as it's fulfilled. And in this book, and this book was written probably four or five years before the Berlin Wall fell, at that time there was not even a hint that any such thing would ever take place. In fact, when he wrote this, a lot of people, even some of our own people, said, Ha, ha, I don't believe that stuff. I can't believe it's going to happen. But he states in this book, he says, What impact will it have upon the world when they see on their television sets large cranes knocking down a portion of the Berlin Wall? And bulldozers pushing against it with all of their might and struggling to destroy it. If you remember, I picked up a newspaper and brought it right to the pulpit and turned to the page written five years before it happened. And this man has studied um, Bible prophecy. In fact, that just is his ministry. Now, he states in the End Time magazine... He states, a covenant of Jerusalem signed May 19, 1993. Is this the covenant of Daniel 9.27? It's quite an alarming thing. I I did look through this. I appreciate Brother Repka sharing this with me. I do not subscribe to this right now. For some reason, I just let my subscription uh, lapse. Uh, As I see it, though, when he talks about the covenant... If I'm understanding the covenant correctly, it's really a covenant not that the Jews signed with anyone else as much as a covenant that they made with God and affirmed with each other. And that covenant has to do with Jerusalem uh, and the restoration of, of Israel. Now we know that that's prophesied in the scripture that Israel will be uh, restored as, as a nation. Matthew 24, for some of you who are not familiar with these scriptures, we'll just, we'll just take a little time and look at it. Matthew 24, if you will turn there with me. In Matthew 24, <coughs> in verse 32, and this is all prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the end of time. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. The fig tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. It's talking about Israel. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now... I remember years ago hearing preachers. Of course, uh, Israel was declared an independent nation when was it 1948? And it was in May of 1948 that she was declared an independent nation. And people were trying to figure out how long a generation was. And some said 30 years, some said 25. And what they were saying is that Jesus said, the generation, that he would come 
within the time of that generation. And I believe that's what he's saying. But if I'm understanding the scripture right, and I, th- this I have held for many years, it says this generation shall not pass. It's, talk, it's talking about not how long a generation is. That is from, from 30 years. That's from the time that a man is born until the time in which he produces his or has a, a child and this child grows of, in other words, 30 years from one generation to the next. But it, it speaks not of that. It speaks of the passing of a generation. The Bible speaks of three score and ten, or if by reason of strength, four score. And I think what the Scripture is saying, that the generation that sees this will not fade from the face of the earth until all these things be fulfilled. Now, that, that's quite important for us to understand. However, this week, as you, you well know, that on the front pages of Tuesday's paper, September 14th, in Washington, D.C., on the Capitol lawn, you see this, Shalom, Shalom and Peace, or Salam and Peace. And, of course, you see the uh, Israeli Prime Minister, Rabin, and the PLO chairman, uh, Arafat, as they are signing this, this covenant. Now, I spent almost all week looking in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say much about the covenant in, in Daniel 9:27, except that there will be a covenant signed with the Jewish people, and the purpose of that is to bring peace in the Mideast. Now, when, when that happens, we are on the threshold of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that this treaty is the treaty as spoken of in Daniel 9.27. You may say, do you believe it? I really do believe it. I will say I really do believe it. I really do. I, I just think that there are so many things that have happened. The, the collapse of socialism. <clears throat> uh, I think, however, you can expect a rise of socialism again. But I, I'm, I'm really believing that. <clears throat> the Bible prophesies about the European com- common market. When the two superpowers, <clears throat> uh, Russia... United States of America, or the Soviet Union, United States of America, <coughs> when they became superpowers, the European community was kind of left out on all world decisions. So they they joined together, and the technical name of the European common market concerning the treaty is the Treaties of Rome. In other words, this came out of Rome. I, I personally think that if you look in the book of Revelation, it doesn't take you long to figure out that, uh, <clears throat> that the city is mentioned there. Uh, now, the thing that amazes me is that sometimes Bible prophecy can be fulfilled, and yet people who are claiming to be Christians can go on in an unconcerned way. Now, I am not an alarmist, you know that. But I think any time you have a situation like we had 1982 in which we had the 
all of the planets lining up in a straight line, and scientists were saying that perhaps this could bring about a condition similar to what is found in the book of Revelation concerning the stars falling from the heavens and such. I think everyone who gives a hoot about going to heaven, he's going to take a look, and he's going to, he's going to prepare his heart for the Lord. He's going to do that. Uh, I, I just, you know, and after that happened, someone here in the city of Madison, someone that occasionally attends church, they laughed about it. Said, "Ha, ah, you know, Brother Grant just gets alarmed about all those things." Said, "I don't, I don't pay any attention to that because I've been hearing that since I was a kid." Well, I would be very, very, very hesitant. To, to make a remark like that because you know what Peter says in his epistle that in the last days there shall be scoffers there's people mocking saying where is the promise of his coming for all things continue as they were since the beginning in other words I've heard it all my life things are not going to change it's the way it is but I can assure you when you read this that uh, you know, this has a Bible connection. You, did you read what the president said? The children of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael, have embarked together on a bold journey. Today, or together today, with all our hearts and souls, we bid them shalom, salam, peace. In other words, what he has done, he has gone back to the ancient history of the Bible and saw the significance of this as it relates to Scripture and makes a comment about it. I don't, I don't think it's by, by accident that these things are happening. And then, of course, it does state that the United States of America will no doubt be responsible for the keeping of peace in the Mideast. And, of course, we know that, <clears throat> that uh, you know, we're some what responsible even for, for this meeting. The United States did not accept the PLO or Arafat until a couple of years ago. He was considered uh, just a guerrilla, uh, re- rebel, uh, of course, the, please understand that the, the PLO uh, does not represent all the Palestinian people. And they have great, great concern, some of them, about this gentleman representing them. But nevertheless, they don't have a representative. They'll just be vagabonds, and that's what the Bible uh, prophesied concerning the children of Ishmael. Now, if I'm understanding Scripture correctly, I'm not going to all the Scripture. Perhaps Sunday night we'll get into this a little bit more because I know it's something that you're interested in. But uh, if I understand the Scripture correctly, that this, when this treaty or this covenant of Daniel 9.27 is signed, we will then go into the first phase of the tribulation period. Okay? Now, Brother Baxter is stating, he said, I don't think it's by accident that this 
is being done in 1993 because we're seven years from uh, the year 2000. Now, why 2000? Well, I think he's he's no doubt going back, and this is something I have uh, taught on before in Hosea, the sixth chapter. So if you turn back there, I'll just look at this. In Hosea, the sixth chapter, verse 1, Come, let us return unto the Lord. <clears throat> For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. Now, this is a prophecy concerning the remnant Jews of the last day. After two days, he will revive us. And the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now, Peter said a thousand years to man is one day with God. I don't think that statement alone <clears throat> constitutes enough evidence to bring about some kind of equation. But it is interesting, however, to know that we do have conclusive evidence in the Scripture that the third day, which is the millennium, which I think the 144,000 Jews that are spared during the tribulation period will be responsible for the repopulation of the earth. Because they're the people that are spared. Now, we know the millennium. The word millennium means a thousand. We know that is a thousand. And so if that is a thousand, then we must draw the conclusion that at the end of 2,000 years, at the end of 2,000 years, then uh, uh, we can expect a change in the dispensations. What do you mean dispensations? The time in which God will deal with man differently than what he's dealing with us in the church age. This is considered, the two days are considered the time of the Gentiles. And the Bible speaks of the fulfilling of the time of the Gentiles. That is in, in uh, what's First Thessalonians 5 verse 3. Uh, <clears throat> let's just go to First Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, by the way, the latter part of it talks about the rapture of the church. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, verse 16, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now listen to what the scripture says. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, <clears throat> as far as I can find in the Scripture, the, the first, uh, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in which the church will be raptured, will come as a thief in the night. But not only that, he will come as a thief in the night at the end of the tribulation period. It seems as if every time that Jesus came, he came as a thief in the night. <clears throat> Just a handful of people knew when Jesus Christ was born that he really was born. 
We have shepherds. We don't know how many shepherds. The night that Jesus was born, they saw the star. They came to, to worship the Christ child. We don't know how many. Most people say three. The Bible just says shepherds. Wise men from the east came. They saw his star in the east. We don't know how many wise men. Because they brought, brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it is assumed that there were three. And then, of course, we have uh, John the Baptist's father, uh, Zacharias, his mother Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. And then, of course, we have the prophetess, Anna. And then, of course, we have the prophet Simeon. Now, outside of that, uh, nobody knew who was coming. And yet, when the wise men saw the star in the east, they obviously didn't go all the way from uh, the point in which they saw the star to where the Christ child was. Tradition you know, and you see the nativity scenes, you see the wise men there. Obviously, that wasn't really the way it happened. Because the Bible says in the book of Luke, they found the young child in his home when they finally got there. So <clears throat> they came, but they didn't probably didn't make that trip that night. But when they saw the star, they, they knew what it meant. For some reason, they knew what it meant. And the Bible says that they went to Jerusalem first, and they asked this question to Herod and the scribes uh, and the lawyers, they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Herod turned to uh, the scribes, the religious people. And you know what? They had the answer just like this. In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written, See, I mean, they knew. They knew the birthplace and knew the whole story. But they didn't get the revelation that Jesus was coming. He came as a thief in the night. No doubt Herod asked, when did you see the star? Probably some time had lapsed, and this is the reason why, that Herod sent forth a decree into the tiny city of Bethlehem to kill all the male children two years and younger. Slaughter them. Of course, you read in the Scripture how that uh, <clears throat> Joseph w was warned in a dream and took the Christ child into Egypt, thus to fulfill the Scripture that out of Egypt shall come forth my son. So, <clears throat> the time of the Gentiles. He's coming as a thief in the night. Every time he has appeared to man, Man was not ready for him. Some were, but not all. And when Jesus Christ first came, some were ready. Some were waiting. Some were anticipating, but not all. When he comes to take the church out of this world, some will be ready, but not all. See? Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Now, there will be a host of people that no man can number, but when you compare that to the overall population of the planet Earth, there will just be a few. Now, I didn't write that. Jesus prophesied that. See? 
And then, of course, when he comes back at the end of the, uh, I say the end of, when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, uh, there won't be a lot of people ready. He will come as a thief in the night then. So every time that Jesus has appeared, he's always come as a thief in the night. But uh, the Bible speaks of the time of the Gentiles and this being fulfilled. Well, I think I read the wrong scripture, didn't I? Here I read this and I'm looking down. I don't even see it in that. So I I marked the wrong scripture down. But uh, if you will notice in verse 3 it says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon the woman with child, and they shall not escape. So the Bible prophesies at the last days of a great peace movement, doesn't it? It really does. And uh, when I read this, I tell you, there's just something that went all over me. I said, man, I can't, I can't believe, I just can't believe because you see, after the churches leave in Revelation 3, if you look at Revelation 4, this is when, I'm convinced, this is when the rapture takes place. And after this, see, John is taking a, a trip in the Spirit. Uh, the book of Revelation is the unfolding of all biblical prophecy. For the most part, I think it's called Revelation because, unlike all other Bible prophecy, it is pretty much written in chronological order. This is the reason why it's just the unfolding. It goes from the time of man, beginning of time, until the close of time. Now, there are references made back and forth. And so we know that it is not exactly in chronological order, but for the most part. So, we see the door open in heaven, and John heard a voice as we're talking to him. It was like a voice of the trumpet talking with him. And, And if you notice in the Bible... It speaks, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the trumpet. In other words, with a loud trumpet voice, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And then he takes his trip in the Spirit into the heavens in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And then Revelation 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come unto me. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, I have always believed that the, that the riders are the four horses, the white horse, uh, the red horse, the pale horse, and the dark horse, that these were conditions, not individuals. I have heard people, ministers say that the white horse rider is the Antichrist. Now, <clears throat> I personally think that it is a condition. It's a condition of peace, and the reason why is because the second rider is the rider of the red horse, and listen to this, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that set thereon to take peace from the earth. In other words, the first rider 
was a condition of peace that's going to come. That's what is prophesied. Just prior to the coming of the Lord, when they shall cry, Peace, peace, then sudden destruction. So, <clears throat> Bible preachers for years have been prophesying that, that there will be a great move for peace. The problem is that it can't be accomplished because people don't know the Prince of Peace. That peace is a byproduct of something greater than peace itself. In other words, if you just say, well, I'm going to be peaceful, and you leave out the source of all peace, and that is God, you cannot have peace. So you cannot have peace. Uh, It's like the one world government that you see that's going to be formed, and we are against one world governments because we know what the Bible says. But the truth of the matter is, when you look at a one world government, you must say that in essence that is really the ideal thing. Because that's what we're going to have during the millennium. A one world government. Uh, All of the continents will be rejoined during the millennium. And people have free access of travel. and People live long years like they did back in the early days of, of the earth. Where Noah lived 950 years old. His grandfather lived 969 years. Methuselah. So, the earth will be connected. I personally think that that's how the the people in the the North American continent uh, got here. Because the scripture tells us in the days of Peleg that the earth was divided. That's after the flood. Uh, I know that people say, well, they probably came across the Aleutian chain and so forth, and it's a pretty good theory. Uh, the only thing is, they would have probably had a big have to have a big ark, because when the first people came to discover the land, they not only found a lot of people living here, but they found animals of all sorts living here, and some of them huge animals. See, so the earth is going to be put back together. And Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years. So, you, you know, to say one world government's bad, we only say it's bad because we know what the Scripture says, and that is that they seek to have an anti-God government. And the problem with an anti-God government is that it imposes rules and regulations upon you And that's what happens when the Antichrist comes and he says, will you denounce your faith? Now, the good thing about it, I I personally believe the church will be gone then. I personally think the church will be gone then. So I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't wait around to the tribulation period thinking, well, if I don't take the mark of the beast, I'll be saved. Because you find shortly after the riders of these four horses that one time a fire comes and destroys a fourth part of all of the vegetation on the planet Earth, and war comes and fire and famine comes and destroys a fourth part of all of the living inhabitants upon the face of the Earth. Right now, with better than 5 billion people, that would be a billion two hundred and fifty million people dying in a short period of time. In other words, when, when people say, we don't want God... 
And all of a sudden God says, okay, if you don't want me, we'll turn the planet Earth over to you and see what happens. That's what happens. See, that's what the world's going to be like when God is not around. I want to be long gone myself. I really want to be long gone. Now, going back to what Brother Baxter is saying, he says, well, I don't think it's by coincidence that in 1993 that the covenant is signed. Because seven years, which he says the tribulation period is seven years long. I've always said 14. And somebody said, well, if that's true, then your math would be off. But let me just read something in today's paper, all right? Sheffield, England. Astronomer David Hughes claims that Wednesday, yesterday, marked the 2000th anniversary of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, basically, what he's saying is that in 7 B.C., Jesus Christ was born. Now, what I'm saying is that this is just highly disputed as to, you know, if the calendar is really right or not. And, of course, he draws his evidence from this. He says, because in 7 B.C. there was the coming together of Jupiter and Saturn in this constellation, and as a result, it probably appeared to be some bright light. Now, my only point in bringing to your attention this, I don't know how long it's going to be. And I don't know if the tribulation period is going to be after the 2,000 years or part of it will be after and part of it will be before. I know that the covenant of the Antichrist will be broke during the tribulation period. In other words, the Jews will realize that we've been hoodwinked into something here. And it's when they realize that that they turn to the Messiah. Because that the breaking of the of the covenant takes place. Now, I said all of... I, I've gone through a lot of things to say this. You know, it, it seems strange to me, though. And, and, and you may call it coincidence. I, the peace treaty signed on Tuesday. Here someone is saying that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ took place on Wednesday. And we know full well that today is the first day of the Jewish New Year. You probably knew that. Now, <clears throat> mathematically and how all this comes together, I can't say. But I can say this. Just looking at all this evidence, it, it's, it, if this is pure coincidence, it's about the strangest thing that I've ever read. That how, and just boom, boom, boom. The astronomer makes no connection with the signing of the peace. And it appears that when this was signed on the White House lawn, that they made no consideration to the marking of the Jewish, Jewish New Year. 
And, and I don't know if you read the papers or not, but it almost seems like that that uh, the Jews, even though they went along with it, it was almost like, I don't know if we should do this or not. President Clinton, even as Arafat had his hand stretched forth, he reaches over <laughs> and takes the, the Israeli prime minister's arm and pushes out. Come on, you got to shake on this thing. I don't know if I should do this or not. <clears throat> but everybody's tired of fighting. They said, we'll trade land for peace. That's what it's all about. We'll trade land for peace. Of course, <clears throat> there's one thing they said that before the negotiations are finally settled, that we'll have to settle on Jerusalem. The covenant Brother Baxter's making reference to that happened on May 19th, that covenant that the Jews signed with themselves said Jerusalem is connected with the heavenly Jerusalem which the Jews will occupy. That's what the covenant states. And we will never give up Jerusalem. That's what they're saying. And as a result, uh, the paper the next day then stated, and I guess I don't have, I thought I had it here, but <clears throat> maybe it's down here. But at any rate, there, the, the paper states that, well, it looks like there's, it's going to be much more difficult than what we thought that even though this treaty is signed, there's a lot of details that have to be worked out with the other nations. <clears throat> now, I talked about a lot of things. Along with this prophecy, let's just go back to Revelation 6. Uh, <clears throat> not Revelation 6, but in Revelation 3. The word Laodicea actually means laity rule. <clears throat> there's going to be a time in which Leadership on the planet Earth is going to be. T Out of the pulpits. Now, I know <clears throat> that. Uh, the question always comes up. You know, we are to obey every ordinance of man, for this is the will of God concerning you. You will find the Bible also says that we should judge not, lest we be judged. A superior always has a Bible right to judge a subordinate. Did you know that? This is the reason why that father or mother in a household can go to a child and say, look, you have a bad attitude. And the child says, I don't have a bad attitude. And you can pass judgment on that. You say, you didn't do a good enough job trimming the lawn. Yes, I did. In other words, somebody has to be the final authority. Okay? Now, <clears throat> we are to obey every ordinance of man, but we do know that God pulls rank on all authority. This is the reason why the apostle says, men, we had rather obey God than man. So anytime there is a law that's contrary 
to the law of God. We have to obey the law of God. In other words, sin will never be an excuse for anyone. If God tells us to be holy for he is holy, it doesn't make any difference if your parents tell you you must do this. You've got to do what's right. <clears throat> See? You have to. If you want to find out in the Bible <coughs> what God thinks of the church or what God thinks of, of, of his people, all you have to do is look at examples in the Scripture. While God vested much authority in the kings of the Old Testament, he did use the prophets to pass judgment upon them. In other words, a godly movement in the planet Earth, obviously, it was God's intention for that movement to so affect government that it was to rule over government. Now, I know we have this big thing here in the States where they said the Constitution states that there should be a separation between church and state. That's not in the Constitution. Now, you hear that all the time from lawmakers out of Washington. That is not in the Constitution. It is not in the Constitution. In the Bill of Rights, a statement is made relative to this simply because that our early forefathers did not want the church to rise up with such power that it imposed upon all of the citizens of this new land that they had to be a member of that church or else be executed. That's what happened. Look back at the Church of England. That's exactly what happened. And it was from that that our forefathers were trying to get us to, uh, to, to escape. But for government to be totally free, and separate from the church. That was never the intent. That's why on our coins it says in God we trust. That's why all of our legislative bodies opens with prayer. Now, since the New Age movement and and after the turn of the century, the Dewey uh, doctrine and philosophy, humanism came into our society. Uh, we have had a lot of of atheistic people, agnostics, to rise up and they're, they're screaming, church and state. But even in the New Testament, you know, when Herod was wrong, God used John the Baptist to correct him. Now, true to the pattern of the Bible, if a superior can never correct, or if a subordinate never has the right to correct a superior, then we must understand that God expects the church to carry the major role of leadership in the planet Earth until he comes back. In other words, the church should never be subjected to the point. Now, we obey the ordinances of man. That's the will of God concerning us. But not to the point of defying or denying our faith in God. Otherwise, even when the Antichrist comes upon the scene, a man would be justified in denying. 
And, and that, that's not the case. But you see, the problem with Laodicea, see, the stage is set because it means laity rule. Unlike the church at Pergamos, the word Pergamos means married. That's when church and state married way back. That's when Constantine took uh, the heathens and took the Christians and brought them all together and said, let's worship together and, and forget about you know who you're worshiping. Let's just... It was during that time that the Trinitarian doctrine, by the way, was formulated. And there's a statement in the in the letter to Pergamos. It talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate, God said. Nicolaitans means one who rules over the laity. In other words, people who dominate them. And that's what you see in the ecclesiastical orders of, of churches today. Even to the point that they say that the Pope, the Pope is superior to the Bible. They believe in the supremacy of the church and the Pope. In other words, we can change the Bible if we want to. See? Well, see, I'm not the Pope. I can't change it. Because the word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. It's forever settled in heaven. But now you see, at the end time... There is the reversal of this. It's called Laodicea, or Laodicea, rather, or laity rule. In other words, there will be a rebellious group of people that will rise up and say, I will not listen to anybody. My friend, if that's not alive right now, that is alive. No preacher's going to tell me what to do. No mother or dad's going to tell me what to do. Nobody. That's the teachings of the new age. Nobody. Do what I want to do. Say what I want to say. Go where I want to go. See? Of course, you know, the problem is that Laodicea just simply was not on fire. And even invading in the ranks of the Pentecostal movements, a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff. Now, the Lord said, I would that you be hot or cold. God wants us to be on fire. On fire. Praise God. On fire. Talked about this Sunday night. Listen, young people. The heroes that you establish in your mind should not be rock stars, football players, basketball players. Do you know how long it's going to take for Michael Jordan's game ball to go flat in hell? Just a moment. I didn't say Michael Jordan was going to hell. I didn't say it was going to heaven or hell, but I do know this. That everything that's tangible is going to burn up. The planet Earth is going to burn with fervent heat. I don't know what Michael Jordan is going to do with his life. But I am saying this. Don't you dare. I say don't you dare make some sports fan your hero. You read all about this 
this business, you know, now I'm going to come across real straight right now, but I need to, I think. This business of AIDS. And everybody said, we need a cure for AIDS. There is a cure for AIDS. Stay out of the sack with everybody that comes along. Land sakes alive. We got more than rocks for brains. We're jumping in bed with everybody that comes along and say, oh, our president's not doing enough to cure AIDS. You may say, Brother Grant, it sounds like you have no sympathy. Well, wait just a minute. Of all the talk and all the funds that have been spent and everything, nothing else has worked. We better go back to the Bible. The Bible teaches that a man ought to have one wife. He ought to be faithful to her and love her. And that's the way it is. And the Bible teaches us that premarital or extramarital sex is wrong. And it teaches us that sex with someone of the same sex that we are of is an abomination to God. But we're so smart, you know. We got it all figured out, but we can't cure the problem, can we? No, we cannot cure the problem. And that's just the way it is. Oh, I'm telling you one thing. If I'm understanding the scripture correctly, if you want to go to heaven, you better start praying. You better get a hold of God. It's not time for you to just come down and pray a few prayers and walk away and forget about it. You better reach in and get a hold of God. Because the devil's going to do everything that he possibly can to keep you out of the holy city. If I were you and I'd been harboring bitterness, I'd find that person I'm bitter against and I'd repent of Almighty God and ask that person to forgive me. I'd do that. If you're the type of person that you're just, you hold grudges and such, before it turns into bitterness, I'd get rid of that stuff. I'd do that. And if I were you and I was the type of person that, that, man, I just can't, the world's just so appealing to me. I'd hit the altar like a runner riding, sliding into second base, and I'd pray and seek God till I got that out of my system. The Bible says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I didn't write the Bible. I only preached the Bible. If you're in the Christian school or in your home and you're rebellious against your parents... You know what you need to do? You need to let God kick you right in the midsection like a, a mule kicking you until he kicks some sense into you. Because you've got to know, separate and apart from God, my friend, when you get out in the real world, that's the system that operates out there. If you leave from this place and go to the nearest business place and you walk in, somebody will be in charge, and the person that's in charge is going to tell you what to do when you get in that place. You get out in the real world and you get on your job and you say, well, nobody's going to show me what to do. You'll go hungry because they won't keep you around very long. That's the system of the world. It happens to be God's system. And you may say, well, it's not a very good system. Well, they ain't no better one. <clears throat> That's just the way it stacks up.
may not be good English, but it's good theology. That's just the way it is. There's no better system. That's the way it is. I was asked one time to testify in court, and it had to do with a divorce that was taking place of some people who were former members of the church. They moved away, and she stayed in the church, and the man didn't want to stay. And, and of course, he brought accusation against her and accusation against the church. And, and so I was asked to come down and testify. So when I get there, guess what happens? The very first thing, when I go inside and sit down, they ask me to be seated. The judge asked me this question. He said, Pastor Grant, this was a family court situation, so it was a little bit informal. He said, of course, uh, you know, we were all under oath. He said, what gives you the right to tell people at Calvary Gospel Church how they ought to live and how they ought not live? Who gives you the right to be in charge? I said, well, let me just put it this way. Sir, when I walked into this courtroom, I felt order. It didn't take me long to know there was someone in charge. And I recognized right away it was you. I respect your authority. I submit myself to your authority. And there's a policeman at the door that says, if I don't, it's bad news. And sir, this is the way the planet Earth is run. Somebody has to be in charge at Calvary Gospel Church. I suppose God put me in that position. But if I were not in charge, somebody else would be. And I'd say if we kicked God out the front door and we became atheistic, that every one of those new converts to atheism would choose themselves a leader. Because I've never been in any place where somebody was not in charge. <clears throat> he said, uh, perhaps we should approach this from a different angle. I was planning on quitting at nine. Listen, let, let me tell you something. Some of you teenage girls are rebellious, and some of you teenage boys are rebellious to your parents. Did it ever occur to you that you're going to have kids one of these days? And did it ever occur to you that they're just around the corner? I have talked to young men who were so defiant, and young ladies who were just so defiant, and they were graduating from school two years later, Wedding bells are ringing. A year later, a child's on the way. And here they got this little child in their arms. Now, the game plan for you is going to change. Could I tell you something? I've never seen anybody who had problems with authority that didn't like to be in charge themselves. That's the reason why they're acting the way they're acting. And when they get in charge, 
they're just as hard-headed as anybody could ever be. Do you know that? Sure. That's the way that's the way life stacks up. Well, there has to be a quitting point to this. Seriously. If I had one thing in my life that I knew I had to do to get right with Jesus, I'd do it tonight. If this is the covenant of Daniel 9.27, Jesus could come before pig roast time or prayer meeting tomorrow night. God, talk to us. Shake us out of complacency, Lord. Let us be on fire. Oh, praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost here in this place right now. Let's lift our hands and worship Him. Or whatever you want to do, I want you to do it right now. Oh, hallelujah. yield to the voice of God. God wants to talk with us. Praise God. Now, what we need to do, <clears throat> we need to just lift our hands. We're getting a little bit confused with our messages in tongues. And uh, 
we don't want to be in violation of scriptures. So let's just lift our hands and let's worship God. God's still in control. We're not going to panic. We're not going to run away. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't God good? Oh, isn't God good? Oh, God is so good. (laughs) God is so good. Yes, God is so good. Yes, God is so good. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now we just all need to find a place to reconsecrate our heart to Him. Perhaps right where you are. Perhaps you'd like to come just flood around the altar. Oh, God. You're a guest of ours and you have not made peace with God. You can make peace with God tonight. You don't have to go home without having this settled in your heart that you're right, rapture ready. Come on right now. Or pray right where you are. Oh, God, dear God, dear God.
Several people need the Lord here tonight. After you prayed, look around. If you see someone that's praying for the Holy Ghost or someone that's making an approach to God, go pray with that person. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.